Welcome to the Brand Spanking New Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Adams. As of this glorious Monday morning, Snoop Dogg offended Jayhawk fans by starting a strip club at a pep rally. GM Daryl Morey got a social media spanking by the owner of the Houston Rockets. And a Korean golfer has been exiled because the media isn't a fan of aviary gestures. But we begin with the three most important things that rocked our world and changed our perspective over the past seven days, or more specifically, the best of last week. First, the biggest news of the week concerned California Governor Gavin Newsom signing into law the Fair Pay-to-Play Act, which says that the NCAA cannot punish college athletes from receiving endorsement money for using their name, image, or likeness. Newsom made the announcement via Twitter with a video clip of himself sitting in LeBron James' barbershop on The Uninterrupted on HBO, saying very emphatically, I'm not saying that this is checkmate, but this is a major problem for the NCAA. This is a monumental movement in college athletics, but at the same time comes off rather juvenile as a 51-year-old man trying to appeal to millennials and Generation Zers is using social media as the cool way to broadcast a political movement. Yeah, the idea behind it is great, but don't have your marquee moment in politics be announced as barbershop legislation on a basic cable channel notorious for their ties to the adult film industry. The Fair Pay-to-Play Act has been the hot topic of discussion around the country with pro-athletes, pop stars, politicians, professors, and bald middle-aged men named Peter living in their parents' basement weighing in on the issue with their thumbs on social media. It's a hot topic because it adjusts the landscape of college athletics. No longer will college athletes be penalized for receiving payment for things that are naturally inherent to what makes them unique, which, when you step away from all this commotion, makes you ask the question, Shouldn't this have been done the same time when Prohibition was repealed? The Fair Play to Play Act changes the game, and what this means for college athletes is what Matt Stone and Trey Parker argued in a South Park episode, that they will no longer be treated like crack babies. These athletes actually have all the rights, privileges, and abilities to monetize their own personal brands, which is something that every single other human being has been able to do in any other industry, state, or corporation. Think about it. College athletes are under lock and key for no logical reason. The NCAA treats them like they're living in George Orwell's version of 1984 and that Big Brother will always be watching their every waking moment and will banish them to Alcatraz if they decide to sign an autograph for an aspiring young fan. The NCAA holds their athletes to a different standard, not a higher one, but a more completely bizarre, out-in-left-field, what-the-expletive-are-they-doing standard that makes no sense at all. Regardless of what side of the fence you are sitting, the consensus is that the Fair Pay-to-Play Act will be enormous, monumental, could have catastrophic consequences. This will put an end to college athletics as a whole, people say. Say goodbye to all college sports and college altogether. This monetizes a wholesome industry where big companies like Nike and Adidas are going to poach on young adults and manipulate them to think about manufacturing meth from a Winnebago in the Albuquerque desert. No, it won't. People need to take a step back and realize that this is not the end-all, be-all moment for society. It's like the DirecTV ad campaign a few years ago, which said, When your cable's on the fritz, you get frustrated. When you get frustrated, your daughter imitates. When your daughter imitates, she gets thrown out of school. When she gets thrown out of school, she meets undesirables. When she meets undesirables, she ties the knot with undesirables. And when she ties the knot with undesirables, you get a grandson with a dog collar. That's how ludicrous some claims sound when people scream from their soapbox that this will decimate society as a whole. Will a few select athletes make a few extra dollars while they're competing at the NCAA level? Yeah. Will entire programs and or institutions be shut down because ruthless capitalists snow blow their financial resources on young naive athletes? Of course not. 
People throw out these fear tactics all the time, but at the end of the day, we're not going to see Nick Saban's grandson wearing a dog collar. Second, Oakland Raiders linebacker Vontez Burfick was suspended for the rest of the NFL season for his helmet-to-helmet hit on Colts tight end Jack Doyle. Some called the penalty outrageous and that the NFL was delivering an overly harsh punishment for a gladiator on the turf. And for anyone sympathizing with Burfick, I have to ask the question, do you have a soul? Or even an ounce of common sense? Or are you the kind of person that kicks little puppies in the teeth as recreational activities in your spare time? This is Vontae's beatdown perfect, a man who was born in the wrong millennia and would fit much better holding a battle axe fighting with King Richard and the Crusades than lining up in a 4-3 zone. I would give you the list of suspensions and personal foul penalties that he's amassed, but you don't have three hours to dedicate to that daunting list. The Reader's Digest version is this. Four suspensions, 22 missed games, nine additional fines for $422,000 in financial penalties, and over $4.6 million lost in salary. Just for comparison, he's lost more money in eight seasons than most people compile over a 40-year career. On Wednesday, teammate and Raiders quarterback Derek Carr defended Burfick, saying that, quote, he is one of the most misunderstood people in the NFL, and that, quote, his heart is broken. These words came under fire because while Derek Carr may be a valuable asset under center, I'm curious to wonder if he's actually met Vontez Perfect. Because the distinguishing difference between Vontez and Dorothy's BFF, the Tin Man, is that the giant fictional radiator waltzing down the yellow brick road actually has more human compassion than the Raiders linebacker. This may be the bottom line for Perfect, and in some ways it should be. He is a man who treats his skull as a battering ram and doesn't understand the concept of not leading with your head. He is a player who forgets that opponents aren't actually made of turf and literally steps on them when they're not looking. He's a player who has such a bad track record that you wouldn't be shocked if a tape emerged that he was caught sucker punching Betty White. Again, he's a man out of his time. As great as that behavior may have been on the fields of battle next to William Wallace, we're not living in the dark ages. And finally, on Friday, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver said that he's giving serious consideration to starting a professional basketball league in India, which, for the record, the only association India has with the sport of basketball is the coincidence that one of the NBA's all-time greats has a last name you'll see littered on the menu of a Bombay house. Said Silver, I hope that within five years we have an Indian player in the NBA, and I think for serious consideration of a league, I'd use that same timing. This makes no sense. A basketball league in India in five years? Are you nuts? They don't even care about basketball. Literally, Google the most important sports in India and James Naismith's peach basket doesn't even pop up on the radar. India is known for sports like cricket, soccer, wrestling, field hockey, tennis for midgets, or what most people call badminton. Heck, one of the most popular sports in India is Malakamba, which involves athletes doing complicated yoga poses while simultaneously balancing themselves on a hanging wooden pole. In an ideal world, I would hope for a league in India too, Adam, but the reality is India doesn't really care about basketball that much. Just call it for what it is. Sure, there's a billion people in that country, but more of them would rather do downward dog balancing themselves on a giant wooden pole than shoot hoops. Statements like these are what personify Adam Silver as the Freaky Friday of Big Four Commissioners. He's a 16-year-old pimple-popping high school junior trapped in the body of a bald, middle-aged man who gets uber-excited about finding a front-row parking spot at the Applebee's. And when I say he's got the mannerisms of a millennial, it's because he is so prone to jump on whatever trendy bandwagon is currently being passed around on social media. Hey, Adam. Twitter's talking about how the NBA season is too long. What do you think? Oh, oh yeah, I totally agree. We need to shorten the season to make sure that these players aren't pushing themselves too hard. 
hey, Adam, uh, the NBA needs to be more uh, politically correct, right? Absolutely. No more using the word owner, even though Mark Cuban openly purchased the Dallas Mavericks for $280 million, and he does actually own the team. He should formally change the title on his business card to say governor of the team or alternate governor. Hey, Adam, technology is good, right? You bet it is, talking head that dictates my reactions. Look at this uber-cool jersey I had made that changes numbers electronically when I push this fancy-schmancy button. That way, say if like LeBron James and Anthony Davis both walk in on the court and they forgot to tell each other they were both wearing the number 23 that night, with my magic touch, I can instantly make James wear the number 6. Aren't I cool? Please, tell me that I'm cool. I'm cool, right? Adam Silver does what is trendy, and probably because he wants to be loved by the people, the fans, the players, everybody. He will only make a stance when he's pressured by others. He's a commissioner of the fads. Adam, just because something is trendy doesn't make it the right thing to do. Take Hollywood, for example. Just because 1.4 billion people live in China does not mean that Matt Damon had to be the sacrificial pop culture lamb starring in The Great Wall. Just because it's popular doesn't make it right. We've all seen fads that have come and gone, from Pet Rocks to Tamagotchis to Silly Bands to Heelys to YOLO. Just because the Harlem Shake had a brief 10 seconds of fame doesn't mean it needs to be replacing the national anthem. Just because fidget spinners transformed 7-Elevens across the country doesn't mean you should petition Greg Popovich to have them installed on his nipples for product placement. Just call something for what it is. People in India would rather do downward dog on a pole than play basketball. Don't pander just to be popular. We now shift to what matters this week, which is money, a primary focus of many people's attention and the inspiration behind Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, hosted by Robin Leach. As much hype as there is surrounding whether a helicopter parent can give a college athlete 50 bucks for teaching their kids how to shoot free throws, there should be more discussion about the millions upon millions of dollars teams shell out and essentially waste on athletes who aren't worth the bang for their buck. There are a history of horrendously bad contracts floating around the sports landscape. And when I say horrendously bad, I mean as bad as the soundtrack for the film from Justin to Kelly. Here are three of the worst deals in sports. Number three, Kirk Cousins, three years, $84 million. The Vikings are paying a man who has made one Pro Bowl and started only one playoff game the equivalent of the annual net profit of Popeye's chicken. Number two, John Wall, four years, $171 million. John Wall is lightning fast, but that's pretty much it. He can't shoot threes, has never made it out of the second round in the East, and sat the entire last season because of an Achilles injury. Number one, Jacoby Ellsbury, seven years, $153 million. Once a hometown hero of the division rival Red Sox, Ellsbury has been a flop and a half. He has made one all-star team in his career and hasn't put on the pinstripes in two seasons. Ellsbury's contract is like prematurely paying for a prime rib at Roos Chris and the snooty waiter coming back with a used napkin. A trendy discussion centers around why teams pay these kind of absurd numbers to overrated players. And while as much fun as it would be to ridicule the Yankees, Wizards, and Vikings, a greater question needs to be asked as to why players force the hands of organizations to hamstring them to oblivion and overload their salary cap for just a single contributor. And my answer is this. Deep down in their minds, they know they aren't worth every single penny that a team is willing to give them. Think about it. If you are one of the best athletes in the world, is money your number one priority? No. Winning is numero uno in your book, and you will do anything and everything you can do in order to win, even if that means taking a pay cut. Look at LeBron James, Tim Duncan, Dirk Nowitzki, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Shaq, Gretzky, Peyton. 
What do they all have in common? Winning. And what did they all do for the sake of the team? They all took less money. They know what's important, and they made adult, grown-up decisions to take them to the next level. How can Kirk Cousins get upset at the Vikings for giving up 32 points a game? It's because they don't have any money left over to buy a secondary. How can the Wizards afford to get a valuable shooter when 30% of their payroll goes to rehabbing his left ankle? This weekend, my wife pulled me aside and showed me a shirt she wanted to buy for a 10K she's running. Seeing as how it's the season of horror, she found a shirt that said, Witches be crazy. I know. Please, hold in your laughter. I responded by saying, You can't buy a shirt with a witty saying on it. That defeats the intended purpose of being funny. Wearing a shirt that says, Witches be crazy, is the equivalent of running the 10K yelling at the top of your lungs, Guys, I'm funny. Look at me. I'm really funny. Tell me that I'm funny. You don't see all-star comedians like Jerry Seinfeld, Dave Chappelle, or Richard Pryor saying, Hey, crowd, I'm really funny. Tell me that I'm funny so I know I have value. They're not signing inflated contracts or wearing shirts that say, Witches be crazy. Those facetious compliments are not what they're looking for in life. Which brings us to this. This past week, Joaquin Phoenix helped break the October box office by starring in Warner Brothers' film Joker, a biopic trying to unravel the rise to power for the greatest antagonist in the Batman universe. For the record, anything Phoenix touches is gold. From Gladiator to Walk the Line to The Master, this man is a pure genius. His performance in Joker was flawless and should easily get his name engraved on an Oscar. But the thing is, Phoenix doesn't care about the Oscars. He doesn't care about the awards. He doesn't care about people patting him on the back and giving him an irrelevant piece of glorified scrap metal. He once referred to the Oscars as an expletive you would find stinking up a cow field in Kansas, saying that the awards are, quote, a carrot, but the worst tasting carrot I've ever tasted in my whole life. These words may blacklist him from receiving any Hollywood recognition, but at the same time, he doesn't need that patting on the back to know that he is a bona fide, top-tier actor who will vault any film he stars in to the next level and beyond. Phoenix is the Steph Curry of filmmaking. He knows he's good. He knows he's a talented actor who transcends the big screen, and he doesn't need a gold statue to remind him of his talent. Players like Kirk Cousins can argue weaker teams to pay them larger sums, or in other cases even leave dynasties to attain extra zeros on their paychecks. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Aristotle Onassis put it best when he said, After a certain point, money is meaningless. It ceases to be the goal. The game is what counts. Thank you for listening to Brand Spanking New. We'll definitely be back next week. Unlike six foot seven Zion Williamson, he's 6'6". Get it right.